All right, welcome back to Made Arbitration. And today I've got the resident expert in Mr. Jason Leith, or as we like to call him, JB. And people ask me all the time, how do you get JB out of Jason Leith? And so I'm going to ask him right here in front of everybody, Jason Leith, how do I, how did I get JB out of Jason Leith? If you want, I'll just tell the story <laughs> before I get started because uh, there's a story. Okay. Well, he's going to tell the story, but that's a commonly asked question. How in the hell did I come up with JB out of Jason Leith? So he's going to tell you that story, okay? And so he is the resident expert here as far as uh, contractual provisions and interpretation. And so he's going to talk about <laughs> management doing craft work. And that's a big topic, especially 204Bs doing our work. And so he's going to cover that today. Also, he's going to touch a little bit on leadership, Leadership Academy. I know that... Uh, it's out right now to sign up for that. People ask me all the time if I've ever been to leadership. I have not been to Leadership Academy. But JB has been to Leadership Academy. So he'll tell you about that in case you're interested and wanting to know what's going on there. But I have not been to leadership. So if you ask me, I've not. All right. So um, a lot of stuff going on on social media. Of course, we've got... Uh, Miss Lindsay handling Facebook. She does a great job. Y'all jump on there and uh, talk to her. She does a fantastic job. I also have Twitter and Instagram. She's over that. She does a fantastic job with those things. We've got Discord, which is jumping right now. Uh, I know that Mr. Brian Renfro has been on there quite often, and he answers questions a lot. Also, Mr. Jim Yates is on there as well so that's two national officers that are on discord and so y'all get on there we've got an ra in there we've got an rga in there and so a lot of great conversations going on on discord i wanted to thank mr michael lyles he's a cca out of my installation and new shop steward's going to do a fantastic job uh, he's very eager to learn which is great but Michael Lyles is handling Discord. That's who, who got that up and running. And uh, it's, it's growing by leaps and bounds right now. So y'all get on Discord. A lot of great conversations are on there. Also, Reddit. Uh, I told you last week, I think, that a gentleman has uh, started a Reddit page. It's up and running. So if you get on Reddit, go to From Aid Arbitration, and there's a Reddit page. So got a lot of things going on right now, and so a lot of people handling those. Uh, I'm all about free speech. Um, I know that people running for office need to have thick skin. That's just part of it. Um, but I'm all about free speech. I'll get on there and talk about what you want to talk about. I know that there's a lot of banter going back and forth. I will not have anyone bullied on any of those platforms, even though uh, I didn't start them. Uh, I will not have that. And so if you're talking with people on there, that's fine. If y'all going back and forth, look, I get it. It's it's voting time. Anytime there's elections, there's going to be parties that are extremely passionate 
about their position. That's just part of the game, and I get that. And so, you know, if you get on there and you get extremely passionate, that's one thing. I don't care. If we start bullying people, if I'm not going to allow it on my workroom floor, I damn sure ain't going to allow it on any kind of social media with the name of my podcast attached to it. I'm not going to have people coming in there and being bullied ever. And so I'll address it. All right. But like I said, I'm big on First Amendment, free speech. <laughs> you know, y'all get on there, have at it. And I know that those people that are on there that uh, are running for office have thick skin. But uh, still, I'm not going to have anybody bullied. And I'll address that if it happens, okay? So we have that. Also, we've got uh, Mr. Jeremy McCall and Noah Stump are starting a YouTube channel. Uh, dealing with uh, from aid arbitration to things that I talk about on here, or JB or Jason or whoever, Mr. Kariff, uh, they're going to start putting those on YouTube, and that will be very soon. They're getting that set up. That way you can get on there some kind of visual. I don't know anything about it because I don't know anything about any of that stuff, but uh, they're going to do that, and as soon as that's up and running, I'll let you know, but thanks to those individuals for getting that started. So a lot of stuff going on right now with From Aid Arbitration, which is wild to me because when I first started it, it was just about education, you know, just helping those those stations or those shop stewards that were, like I said, in those small stations that never got any help. And here we are, you know, almost 100,000 downloads later. That's crazy to me. <laughs> so, but... We're going to keep educating, and today's going to be a good one with my expert, JB, coming in here about, uh, about management doing craft work. Um, one of the things that goes along with elections is, is, unfortunately, and this is why I hate politics, I don't get in it at all. Last week was the most I will ever get into it, just because of the importance of it, is people that are untruthful, and, you know, you have to... To be careful with that because there are those out there that are untruthful. And um, I know that there's a, a member of, of the uh, Noble Party that got online and saying that Mr. Renfro is trying to buy votes with offering TVs and cash. Now, uh, President Rolando won his election the last time with 48,000 votes. So what this individual is implying is that Mr. Renfro is going to buy 48,000 TVs and give those away if he's got your vote. And uh, so be careful with that kind of stuff. You know, it, whatever platform they're on, get on there and talk to them and ask them things. Just be careful with people saying things like that. Hell, it happened to me last week. You know, after Mr. Renfro came on and talked, I was on social media. I was on the Made Arbitration page. Matter of fact... A lot of talk about the episode, which was great. It got a lot of attention. And there was an individual from Mr. Noble's ticket on there saying, why did Mr. Noble not get the same amount of airtime? Well, that's because Mr. Noble has not reached out to me. And so I'm not going to reach out to anybody to be on this podcast ever. So if he wanted to talk, he's more than welcome to message me, and, and I'll ask him questions. But... Uh, like I said, this is not for politics. You know, I had a national officer on asking questions. 
A lot of people wanted answered, and he did that. Not one time out of three and a half hours did he say anything negatively about the other party. But anyway, this individual says, why is Mr. Noble not given the same amount of airtime? And that's what I said. Hey, he's not reached out to me. And so this individual, he says, well, I'm reaching out to you. I'd like to be on there, and I'd like to tell our position. And so I simply wrote back, and this is on the Facebook page, we'll discuss later. That's all I said. He goes on to his page, and he says that Corey Walton said he couldn't be on this podcast because he was part of uh, Noble's ticket. Uh, a blatant lie. <laughs> I never said that. And so I go over there, and I copy and paste what I said, and I said, my man, you just told a lie. I never said that. And so he's like, well, you know, maybe there's miscommunication. No, there's no miscommunication. You chose to lie. And that's the reason I hate politics is because of that kind of stuff. And so I gave him my number, and he called, and we talked for a little bit. And we decided it best that he not be on here. And so he, he ended up saying he'd like to come on here eventually and do some kind of education. I said, hey, we'll talk about that. But uh, I asked him a few questions about his ticket that he could not answer. And so I said, look, man, it's, it's best that we do something else. And so he, you know, he's going to come on maybe later and do something about education. I don't know, but we'll talk about it. But anyway, just be careful about what you see and what you hear. Make sure that if you have a platform that you can get on and ask the candidates what their position is, that's best because there's a lot of people that choose to be untruthful out there, and um, that's unfortunate because, like I said, I have never told anybody they couldn't be on here, but this individual thought it best that he make up a lie about me and do that. So I'm going to call his ass out on it uh, whenever that happens. So anyway... If you do not have a ballot, elections coming up, if you do not have a ballot, this is what you need to do. And I copied this off of something else. And this is what it states, if you've not gotten a ballot yet, because everybody needs to vote now. It says, the ballots for the election of national officers for NALC have been mailed. The National Election Committee appointed at the Chicago National Convention to conduct the election reviewed and approved all nominating forms and created the ballot for mailing. Official election instructions are included with all ballots mailed to eligible NALC members. To be eligible to vote, a person must be a regular member of NALC and in good standing as of June 1st of 2022. National business agents will be elected by the members in their respective regions. If you are eligible to vote and do not receive a ballot by Friday, October 7th, or you have spoiled your ballot or need another ballot for any reason, you must notify a branch officer to request a duplicate ballot. When making this request, you should provide the branch officer with your name and current mailing address. Branch officers are instructed to immediately contact NALC at 202 393 4695. That's 202-393-4695 to request a duplicate replacement ballot. The deadline for branch officers to contact NELC is 4 p.m. Eastern Time on Tuesday, October 11th.
Ballots must be received by 4 p.m. Central Time on Friday, October 21st, to be counted. The counting of ballots will begin on October 22nd. So if you've not received your ballot, make sure that you uh, you get you one. You need to vote, okay? So with that being said, just a few little minor things we had to, to address right there. With that being said, uh, next week I'm going to do an episode on residual mail in the DPS. That's a that's a unique little grievance, but one I think we need to be filing, okay? And I'll and I'll give you the the details of that next week. But without further ado, I've got my expert in here on management doing craft work, <laughs> and he's going to talk to y'all about uh, leadership. Because a lot of people have asked about that and about uh, Article 1. So, JB, I hope you're ready. Now, let me tell y'all, all of this has been screwed up. It's taken me about 45 minutes to try to fix this to see if it's going to record. Because when I recorded Mr. Renfro, it was on a different format. And so when I went into my where I usually record, all of that was screwed up bad. And I'm, I'm the worst about trying to figure that out. Uh, so we'll see if this comes out all right, but just letting y'all know that it was screwed up something awful and, uh, it looks like it's running. Okay. But if it's not JB may be back next week and do this episode all over again. So I'm going to leave it up to him, my man. Good luck to you. I appreciate you coming again in studio with your expert opinion. Well, Corey, I appreciate the invitation again to be able to come out into the extravagant, luxurious studio uh, here to talk today about a few things. And um, before we get started, um, JB came about uh, simply because when I was hired as a transitional employee, my first day I walk into the station, had no idea, walking into the back door what I was fixing to encounter. I walked to the middle of the workroom floor to a, a desk that I presumed was the individual in charge. And I walked to the lady and I said, hey, I said, I'm your new transitional employee, TE. She said, you must be Justin. And I looked at her and I said, no, ma'am. I said, my name is Jason. She said, no, they told me it was Justin. I said, well, I can assure you I'm not Justin. And she said, well, that's the name that they gave me. I said, well, no, ma'am, my name is Jason Leith. And she said, well, we already have two Jasons here. She says, we're going to need something different. I said, okay. And being a new employee and a, an individual that just, uh, you know, just goes with the flow, I said, so what are you thinking? She said, well, what is your last name? And I said, well, I told you, it's Leith. <clears throat> and she said, no, that's not going to work neither. She said, what about your middle name? What's your middle name? And I said, well, it's Bryant. And she said, well, how about we call you J.B.? And as a new employee, just eager to get going and, and leaving a job to come to this job and very excited to get going, uh, I said, you can call me whatever you want. I said, I'm just ready to get started and get to work. She said, well, we're going to call you JB. And that's how JB came to be. Um, most people in my installation, that's how they know me, is JB. That's how Corey and I met. I introduced myself, and he said, are you JB, the new steward over at Bellevue? And I said, yes, sir, I am. And so that's, that is what stuck you know, now when you go outside the installation and you go to places or you go to trainings and they have your name placard or whatnot and it has Jason Leith on there, that's how I've been uh, outside the installation. But so many people, like I said, within Nashville, they just call me JB and, and that's fine. And that's my postal name and that's what we go by. So 
again, very happy to be out here. Anytime Corey's asked me to come out, um, it, it's a no-brainer. It's something I've told y'all in the past. It's not the easiest thing to do to try to educate and speak to a, I don't want to say a lifeless audience, but a non-visible audience. And so it, it's something that I um, uh, just cope with and try to get through. But at the end of the day, told y'all many a times, if there's one individual listener out there, if there's that one person that is dealing with this particular subject matter and it could be beneficial to them, I'm all about it. You know, so many people have helped me. Uh, predominantly, Corey in the beginning was the individual that just took me up underneath his wing, gave me a lot of guidance, a lot of help. Uh, and we need help in this, you know, and that's that's something that's astronomical. You know, if we're the individual that's just wanting to hover over and covet that knowledge and not and not expound upon that or help other individuals gain that knowledge, then we as a union are not benefiting one another. I'll give you a prime example. Uh, when I first got started, I had a uh, at the formal step A, I was uh, I would say not overwhelmed, but you know, as an individual that had been a shop steward for a couple of years, and then asked to step up and be a formal step A rep, uh, representative over sixteen stations. Uh, yeah, a, a little bit of uncertainty of what I was fixing to encounter. Well, I had a grievance. And it was something I never dealt with, and it was concerning uh, temporary loaning of CCAs. I had a CCA that was working in a station that was in my installation, but he was not hired in to my installation. He was outside in another installation, but he had been working predominantly in one of my stations. And I got a number uh, from Corey, and I reached out to this individual down in Alabama. I didn't know this person. I introduced myself. And this individual, without hesitation, said I would be more than happy to help you with this particular subject matter. And he didn't just help me. My email immediately was flooded with information, with contentions, with contract information, with the Step 4M document that you know directly uh, related to this subject matter. And we talked about it and walked hand in hand. And this individual didn't hesitate to, to, to help me or, matter of fact, said if I ever needed anything else, to feel free to contact him. I was very excited. I put together my, my grievance, uh, formulated all my written contentions, put my entire case file together, sent it to the DRT, and he was the very first individual I sent this resolution to when we were successful and just told him, thank you. Thank you very much for helping me being successful, not only for myself, but for the member, for the membership, to make a wrong right. And that's what all this is about. Um, I, I hear a lot of things that go on. Corey does keep me informed as far as a lot of information or a lot of stories that come back to him. You know, I'm a simple, simple person. I don't have Facegram or Instabook or Diskit or Redcord or any of those platforms that y'all talk about um, on, on social media. Uh, I live in a one-traffic light town, live a very simple life. Uh, I go to work. I come home. I have children who play sports and athletics and spend time with them. So I don't entertain social media uh, Whatever's out there that's ever been said about me, good or bad, I have absolutely zero knowledge about. But I hear about the stories that come back, and 
sometimes are concerned about helping each other. I want to help. I want to, I want individuals to be successful. And if there's anything that I could do, uh, more than happy to do it. Nothing like being asked to come on after your executive vice president spends three plus hours answering questions. Um, I think that was hand selected. I feel like I'm here today <laughs> right after an episode like that, uh, you know, as a setup. But nevertheless, we're here. And I am just like you individuals. I listened in Monday while I was delivering mail and enjoyed all three plus hours of the questions and answers episode. Thought it was great. I have been fortunate enough and privileged enough to be uh, at places where Mr. Renfro has spoken before. An individual that does a great job with questions and answers and doesn't shy away from it. Like he said in his episode, it's if, uh, if there's a, an a-, a question, he's going to give an answer. And uh, I applaud him for that. You know, it was a great episode and I enjoyed it tremendously. I had the opportunity also while I was at leadership to also hear him come and give a State of the Union type uh, speech to each and every one of me and my classmates. And along the lines of leadership, Corey's asked me to touch on it uh, just a touch. I have seen where Leadership Academy is now accepting applications. I know at the National Convention we had a booth set up also to inform individuals that were interested in potentially um, going to the Leadership Academy. The Leadership Academy is extensive. It is, to me, National has put on several. Matter of fact, all of National's training events, to me, are unsurpassed. They are top-notch, high-level, tremendously great training. Whether it's your advanced formal A, whether it's your advocate, uh, whether you're going to officers training, what a privilege it is to be in a setting with individuals with so much knowledge that are gifted speakers, gifted teachers and educators to be able to learn. The Leadership Academy, to me, was unsurpassed. It is a three-week program Hopefully, the individuals in the next class, class 26, will not take the two years that me and my classmates had to go through to graduate. We were stalled for over two years due to the COVID-19 pandemic. We had finished roughly almost two complete weeks in 2020, had to settle for a two-year pause, and then we come back this year to graduate. So hopefully, your adventure will not take as long as our adventure did. If I had to kind of summarize to me what leadership would do for an individual and what it did for me was it sharpened my unionism. It sharpened all things union. It helped me grow within, but most importantly, what it taught me was the absolute value of paying it forward, the mentorship helping individuals become better. To have one great leader is excellent, but to develop a half a dozen more great leaders is strength. And to be able to be on the forefront of helping individuals become better involved in our union, whether whatever avenue that may be, whether it's the grievance procedure, whether it's involvement within your branch, whether it's just mentoring individuals on the workroom floor, 
educating those brothers and sisters to what union is, what we have available as a union, what we have fought hard to achieve as a union. All those things combine together at leadership. It has helped me tremendously with being able to walk into a room and feel comfortable in these shoes, speaking to an audience, speaking to an individual, speaking to management. It has helped me as far as my writing and being able to present formidable uh, papers that are easy to read and follow in the right context. But the brotherhood and sisters that were there with each and every one of us, it, it is unsurpassed as far as coming together as a group. When you enter into this, it's intimidating. But it's so gratifying on the other side of it. And I walked away feeling blessed. And I would encourage any individual, this is not a resume builder. Don't go to leadership because you want a resume builder. Go to leadership because you want to sharpen everything union. There's individuals that come there that are in prominent positions that expound upon all the things that we have and as a union, whether it's health benefits or our MDA or uh, the contract administration unit or every avenue that we have as far as union, everything that you see in the postal record from each division, uh, you get an explanation and an expound definition of everything that goes into that department. That is great. But what really happens at leadership is the transformation of you. It transforms you and gets you more involved and it gets you the mindset of not only becoming a leader but teaching others to be leaders and to pay it forward. And that's exactly why I am here today is to pay it forward. A lot of misinformation in, in my, my good friend's introduction. Uh, keep hearing the reference to expert. Uh, my friends, my brothers and sisters, uh, a lot of love to each and every one of you, but I am by far an expert in anything. I have dealt with a lot of things. An expert is something I am not, but it doesn't bother me to come on here and talk about a, a certain particular subject matter. If there's individuals out there that are reaching out and having trouble with something, and if it's something I've dealt with, just like other people have helped me deal with things that I was dealing with, I'm here from you, or here for you guys, but I am not an expert in any of this, but I do not mind coming on here. To me, it's the greatest thing that we have as far as being able to collectively unite and assist one another in a grievance, because at the end of the day, we just want to make a wrong right. That's what the grievance process is, is simply making a wrong right. Whether it's win, lose, or withdraw, to get that member their answer as quick as possible and to represent them to the best of our ability. So that's why I'm here is to help with that situation. It is also why I'll always say I've been blessed to have so many great stewards in my installation. From my branch president, she's a new branch president in 2022 and she has done an astronomical job so far in our branch. As far as trying to facilitate better trainings, get us to be able to come together more, create more platforms where we can communicate. The more that we're on the same page, the more that we're all on the same uh, mindset and fighting the same fight together is beneficial to the members of my brothers and sisters in my installation. So from the stewards to myself, moving forward, 
we are all collectively working together and she has done a phenomenal job so far in the first part of her tenure getting that going. As you all know, being a steward sometimes is a very, very thankless job. Um, when I became a steward in 2016, I immediately, and I already kind of sensed it since being a TE and a CCA and then a full-time regular, but when I took over the stewardship, I really understood quickly that there is two types of individuals that we come encounter with every day on our workroom floor. And you got the individual that's a very thankful person. You got that brother or sister that really appreciates what you do. They appreciate their union for what they have done for them. They understand being involved that sometimes it's not everything that you see uh, with the same mindset, but on moving forward as a union that we're collectively working together and that our union is collectively fighting for each and every one of us. And they're appreciative of that very positive mindset. Uh, I call it a glass half full mindset. And then you constantly come into contact with that other individual. That individual that is always negative, seeing things in a negative light. What is the union doing for me? What is the union going to do? I don't get discipline, so why do I need the union? I don't file grievances. I stick to myself. I don't need a union for myself. Always bringing a negative light on the NELC and a union as together. And those are the two types of individuals that we so often deal with. And that individual is what I like to call seeing the, the glass half empty. And I think back, it reminds me of a story one time I had told my daughter. She's my middle child of three. And she would also be my keeping up with the Kardashians kid. She's the one that's always worried about what everybody else has, what everybody else is doing, what they have that she doesn't, and always seeing things in a negative light. And this was early on, about two or three years ago, when she had first started high school. She's a senior now. But always complaining about what others had to the point I stopped her in the middle of the kitchen one time and I said, uh, Emma, I said, you, you've got to stop worrying about what everybody else has and eventually be thankful for what you do have. And she said, well, I just don't, you know, started going through her complaints. And I said, hold on. I said, stop. I said, you cannot go through life arguing and complaining about what you do not have. There's a point in time where you, you should look around and be able to say thanks for everything that I've been given. I said, you can't go through life always thinking about what you don't have. And I remember taking a glass out of the cupboard and thinking I was real smart at the moment. And I filled it halfway up with water and I remember holding it up and I, and I gave it to her. And I said, Emma, if I gave you this glass and you were really, really thirsty and you said, would you give me a glass of water? And I handed you this glass. I said, would you be thankful and she said, well, no, I would be pissed because you only gave me a glass half full. And I said, Emma, I said, would you not be thankful for the half of glass of water that you were going to get to drink since you were thirsty? Or would you just sit here and complain about what's missing in the glass, the glass half full, what you're not going to be able to have instead of what you would get to have? And I said, Emma, you should be appreciative of what's in the glass. And I remember her looking at the glass and her looking at me, <laughs> and she said, Dad, I, I see what you're trying to say. You're, you're trying to say that instead of complaining about what's not there, that I should be more appreciative of for what is there. And I said, exactly. 
I said, we, we, we have to get better at being thankful for what we have and for what we've done. And I said, do you get it? And she says, I, I think I do. And she held that glass up, and I remember her looking at me, and she stared back at the glass. I said, I understand that I'm holding a glass twice as big as it needs to be. Handed it back to me, and the little brat walked right out the damn kitchen. <laughs> so we didn't get the message that day, but she has gotten a lot better. And, and I give that analogy because no matter what the individual in your station that you're dealing with is, we got to constantly be on the forefront to be union activists for that person, to constantly remind these people of what the NALC has done and fought so hard for us to be able to have, for all the collective bargaining, for all the benefits that we have, and all the things that we do through the grievance procedure for our brothers and sisters, constantly remind them of that, educate that negative individual to the point that they won't have any time to complain, that all they'll see is the positive that the NALC has done. As far as being a shop steward, again, thank you to each and every one of you. I have heard so many wonderful stories from Corey. So many of y'all that have gotten fired up for the NALC, reignited that passion that you had at one point in time that maybe had fizzled out, back in the trenches, fighting hard for your brothers and sisters because we're going to need that moving forward. We have to constantly be that bulldog on the workroom floor We're the ones that are always there for our brothers and sisters. And no matter what the problem that's ever brought to you, no matter what the individual ever comes and says they need help with, take the time out to help. If it's a matter of grievance, treat it with the utmost importance and file that grievance. Get that protest and writing on the floor, on on the table, and let's get that grievance moving forward and let's fight our ass off for our brothers and sisters. Going into this subject matter, I think it's important to touch on being aware as a steward, being the, the individual that knows and has the oversight of what's going on in your station. Not that you're trying to run your station. That's not what being a shop steward is. We're not trying to run the station. We're not trying to be management. We're just going to make sure that management is running it correctly. But as a steward, and I'm not patting myself on the back, I'm just simply giving you uh, hopeful information that will be beneficial to you. But as a steward, I want to know the parameters that we're playing in. I'll give you an example. Like when the new quarter just started in October, I always make sure I get a copy of that overtime sign-up sheet when the quarter starts because I want to know I have 23 city letter carriers. I want to know who is on the overtime desired list. I want to know the individual that's on the work assignment only list and the non-overtime desired people. I want to know that just so I can make sure that I'm watching to make sure that overtime is being assigned properly. I want to know what's going on in my station. I keep an eye when individuals and takeoffs are being left behind, when we pivot routes or splits or takeoffs, however you call them in your geographic area, but we call them takeoffs. I keep an eye, uh, an eye on those because I want to make sure that that work is falling within the letter carrier craft. So I'm always being mindful and aware, keep an eye on the vacation calendar. I want to see, make sure that if there's individuals on that, that they are the that the complement is being met, that the individuals are taking the leave that they want, 
and just being able to keep an eye on each and everything that I possibly can, not because I'm trying to run the station, but just because if problems arise, I've already got a good mindset of what's going on. So it's very important to be mindful and aware of the situations that are going on in your station. Moving forward, uh, I said thank you earlier about Mr. Renfro's episode and um, another episode that I really enjoyed. It was short, it was sweet, but it was direct to the point and it was something that just reminded me of we as a union, us as shop stewards and grievance representatives. I think it's so powerful to be able to say we should constantly be trying to play chess while management is playing checkers. And if you've ever played chess versus checkers, you understand exactly what I'm saying. Checkers is, it is what it is. The, the pieces can only move so, you know, one direction. Every piece is the same. You know, chess has different pieces with different movements, and it, can, it requires more thought process. It's thinking moves in advance to achieve the one move that you're hoping to make. And when I listened to Mr. Karras' episode, I thought he did a, a great illustration of sometimes the mindset of moving forward, especially when he was talking about the monetary award. And I thought about that episode because ultimately sometimes we do think a cease and desist, one is all, is all that's required. And it is. I mean, that's a commitment by the management representative that they have agreed that we will stop and not do this again. But as I listen to that episode and I think about arbitrations that I've been in and how we've set the stage as well, and something that I want y'all to really pay attention to, and hopefully you did in that episode, is how they built up that they have exhausted all avenues in hopes to get the constant erosion of their contractual bargain agreements to stop with the path that they took, with the violations that were in the file the previous cease and desist decisions with the compliance letters with labor management meetings they set the stage up to really be able to expound in arbitration that they have exhausted all avenues i can tell you that is monumental in arbitration i have done it with corey walton i've done it with other advocates that we have went over decision after decision things that we have done up to that point compliance letter decisions that we've agreed to, compliance letters that we have sent to the postmaster, labor management meeting minutes, how we have exhausted all avenues to get a cessation of the same dispute that we continue to have and how now here we are in arbitration not to get the member back to restore back to whole. feel very confident that's going to take place. What we're really here is addressing that Article 15 issue of making sure this continues not to happen, that it will actually cease to raise that value to cause management to have to come to an agreement to eventually quit committing the same violation. And so I thought that was a great episode and something that I really took hard and, and definitely it not only inspired me to continue down that path of making sure we build this file to make it abundantly clear that we have exhausted all avenues well enough of all the <laughs> preliminary talks uh sorry if i got off on a tangent there but let's get into the subject um at, at task today and that's just management performing bargaining unit work including the 204b supervisors when it comes to bargaining unit work that's letter carrier work that's our work 
And when we see uh, an individual from management, EAS, or even a 204B supervisor doing our work, they are essentially stealing from our craft. They are essentially walking over to us, putting their hand in our pockets and removing money. And it's something that we must grieve and take to task because we want to prevent them from stealing from us. No matter what the situation may be, and there's a lot of situations and we're going to go through these, but we want to prevent bargaining unit work being stolen from letter carriers and being performed by management. There's what I call two different types of management performing bargaining unit work. There's somebody, uh, there's those that I consider it just visibly blatant. You, you see it, you come in, you see a member of management or a 204B casing mail, robbing mail up for letter carriers. I mean, they're, they're blatantly doing it in front of the naked eye. Those are one types of situations that I would say we encounter. The next is the individual, the sneaky uh, person out there delivering our mail, delivering our parcels, um, taking pivots or takeoffs out to other letter carriers instead of the letter carrier coming back to the station to pick that up. Those are the ones that sometimes require more uh, detective investigation. And to me, Article 1 grievances are sometimes what I consider the funnest grievance I have. Because it really requires you to start peeling all those layers back to be able to find the individual that did this work. Because make no mistake about it, they're going to do everything in their power to try to cover it up. Especially if it's the situation, the second that I gave you, if they're out there actually delivering our mail. They're not going to want you to find out. They're out there delivering that mail in hopes to either get everybody back by a certain time or whatever the reason may be. Nevertheless, it's not a good reason, but it's going to require us to put our steward hat on and through the information and documentation that we were able to evidence that they did it and we're able to nail them for that violation and then get the individuals paid that should have should have been doing the, uh, the work in the first place. Those are the two types of situations that are most common. The ones that you walk in, you see blatantly in front of you, and then the other situation where the individual's out there delivering our mail, unbeknownst to us, and it's up to us to be able to evidence through that, through documentation and information that we can request. First thing I want to talk about is the 204B, the 204B supervisor. First, the 204B supervisor should have a controlling document that is called the PS Form 1723. The 1723, if you're unfamiliar, it's the controlling document. It's an assignment order official form that should have been given to the union in advance before the individual being assigned to a 204B detail. So if you got an individual that you walk in, and my installation has 16 stations, so if I all of a sudden walk in and I see an individual wearing some khakis and a dress shirt, and I walk over and say, how you doing? I'm JB. Nice to meet you. I'm the shop steward here. He says, oh, I'm the 204B supervisor so-and-so. Well, that's interesting because I never got your 1723 in advance detailing you to this position, and their eyes usually look big as shit because they have no idea what I'm talking about. But the first thing that I'm going to take issue with before we even segue into the Article 1 violation, then performing bargaining at work, 
is I want you to be prepared to be able to file an effective grievance, and it should be filed if you are not getting the PS Form 1723 in advance detailing this person to a 204B supervisor position. Whether the duration or time is half a day or three months, I do not care. I should have been provided in advance that 1723. If you've never seen a 1723, I was able to get Jeremy, which again, I'm going to give Jeremy all the props in the world again, has done a phenomenal job. Uh, I go to that website and look at things sometimes and look at the sites and still pull things from that. And what a creation he has done. I mean, it has been an outstanding job, something that is beneficial uh, just to have those episodes with the sites readily available for any of us to be able to go on there and just have that subject matter with the corresponding documentation right there that we could use. So my hat's off to that individual. He has done an outstanding job. Uh, definitely deserves all the praise in the world for that. But thank you, Jeremy. He has put up a 1723. It's a blank one. But for you to be able to look at and understand what it is. In this assignment order, uh, it's going to detail an individual into the position that they are currently in, the 204B status. And you'll look at it and you'll see that there's a current assignment. That'll be what the individual was, where their assignment is. It'll indicate what their days off was, what their begin tour, end tours. You'll see their designation activity code was a 13-4, identifying that they were a regular city letter carrier. But most importantly, what you're going to be looking at is the new directed assignment. And this form should be given to you or the local union in advance prior to that individual starting a 204B assignment. And if that didn't happen, you're going to grieve it. And you're going to grieve it because you want to start accumulating cease and desist that they'll stop doing this, that they're just not going to wing an individual on the desk whenever they feel like it. They're going to do the proper things that they're required to do just like they expect of us, okay? We're going to require them to do the very thing that they're required to do, and we're going to hold them to task on that. But you'll see that new directed assignment, and you'll see where it identifies what the individual would be doing in the position title. It'll say something of supervisor or customer service, a SCS, the designation activity code that's going to be associated with this is crucial. It's going to be an 090. That identifies that individual as EAS. He's in a supervisor capacity. And furthermore, it's going to give the location that he'll be in, the finance number. But right down here, we'll see assignment start date. That's what we're wanting to see. We want to know the duration of this individual's detail. This is the controlling document. This is the very form that if this individual is performing bargaining unit work during the duration of this 204B assignment, of this assignment order, unless there was a modification provided to me in advance, this individual is no longer allowed to perform bargaining unit work with his assignment start date and order. Let's say he was assigned from October 1st through January 1st with a time of 6 a.m., to 1500 p.m. That means from October 1st at 6 a.m. to January 1st at 3 p.m. he is not to perform any bargaining unit work and for the duration of this assignment order. 
okay? Unless there was a modification provided to the union in advance, he is not to be performing any bargaining unit work. This is the controlling document that should have been provided to you, and if it wasn't, we're going to grieve it. And I had Jeremy also put up a grievance starter that's going to go hand-in-hand hand with this situation. Now, I wanted to go ahead and touch on the contractual language that's associated with that management is obligated to provide the 1723 in advance to the union. It can be found in Article 41.1.A.2. That's in our JCAM of Article 41.1.A.2. And it states the following. Letter carriers temporarily detailed to a supervisory position, 204B, may not bid on a vacant letter carrier craft duty assignment while so detailed. However, nothing contained herein shall be construed to preclude such temporarily detailed employees from voluntarily terminating a 204B detail and returning to their craft position. Upon return to the craft position, such employees may exercise their right to bid on a vacant letter carrier craft duty assignment. The duty assignment of a full-time career de uh, carrier detail to a supervisory position, including a supervisory training program in excess of four months, shall be declared vacant and shall be posted for bid in accordance with this article. There's been questions about that before, of how long a 204B or an individual can be gone in a 204B capacity before their route can be posted. It is actually management's obligation to post a position that has been vacant for four months or more, post that position available to the other craft employees to bid on. If a 204B or an individual has been gone in a 204B capacity in your station longer than four months, you can file a grievance to have their vacant position that they vacated posted. The contract tells us they can right here. It also told us in the beginning of that paragraph that they cannot bid on positions while they're in a 204B capacity. But again, that 1723 is the controlling document that we're going to have or should have in advance to be able to evidence that they were doing these things. One, that they've been gone. And two, if they bid on a position and was properly awarded or improperly awarded, but given the award, we can evidence that they were in a 204B capacity and that it was an improper award. But furthermore, it goes down to say, Form 1723, Notice of Assignment, shall be used in detailing letter carriers to temporarily supervisor positions. The employer will. That word will is certainty. They will provide the union at the local level with a copy of Form 1723 showing the beginning and ending of all such details. That is an obligation. An obligation that they will do. And if they don't do it, we're going to grieve it. There are several M documents that go hand in hand with Article 41, 1A2. And these M documents can be found in your MRS. And just like I've said before, you know, educating yourself, when you go to the MRS, you look in the index and you look at 204Bs, it's going to give you a page number and it's going to talk about detail forms, assignment orders. It's also going to talk about scheduling and bargaining unit work and bargaining unit overtime. It's going to give you M documents that the parties have agreed to that's going to assist you and give you the knowledge to be able to uh, better understand what circumstances rise to a grievance. But in this case, M document 
357, which Jeremy has also putting this up on the website, states, the issue in, this, in these grievances is whether employees on a 204B assignments are required to work in the assignments exclusively for the duration of time period shown on Form 1723. The parties agreed that during our discussions, we mutually agree that when an employee is detailed to a higher level, 204B, by executing a Form 1723, the beginning and ending dates of the assignment are effective unless otherwise amended by a premature termination of the higher level assignment. So that stipulates right there that an individual has to have a 1723 with the beginning and the ending dates of the assignment unless they were otherwise amended, which will be provided to the union in case of that circumstance as well. Another M document that we're going to put in our case file as we prepare this grievance to meet with management is going to be M document 00755. This M document can also be found on the website, and it pertains to the question in this grievance is whether management must provide copies of Form 1723 to the local union in advance of the detail it reflects. During our discussion, we mutually agree to the following that would represent a full settlement of this case. In accordance with Article 41, Section 1.A.2 of the National Agreement, Form 1723 shall be provided to the union at the local level showing the beginning and ending times of the detail. Such copies of Form 1723 should be provided to the union in advance of the detail or a modification thereto. That means it's not discretionary to whether management will give us this form in advance. It's mandatory. Okay, so we're going to grieve that in the event that it does not take place because individuals should be properly detailed to the assignment that they're, that the capacity that they're serving. Okay? There's a grievance starter that's going to be on the website as well. And we're going to frame this issue with the following. Did management violate Article 41, Section 1A2 by failing to provide the local union with a copy of PS Form 1723 Notice of Assignment in advance of letter carrier blank working as a 204 beginning on date blank? And if so, what should the remedy be? Our facts are going to go with letter carrier named so-and-so began a higher level detail as a 204B supervisor at the blank station on blank date. The local union branch number did not receive a copy of letter carrier blanks PS form 1723 for the higher level assignment that began on the said date. So if we need to contact our local branch president to see if they received an email with an assignment order attached to it, myself as a steward that didn't receive that 1723 advance at my station, we're going to file that grievance. We're going to use these statements. And when we meet with management, they're going to be not going to be able to provide a 1723 with the reflective date that they provided it to us in advance. And so we want to grieve that to make it a matter of record for in the future that they're held to their obligations that they must do so. The facts that go on just simply state from Article 1 of the JCAM, and we're going to get into that a little bit more. But it also touches on in Article 1.6 that the prohibition against supervisors performing bargaining unit work also applies to acting supervisors, 204B, 
The PS Form 1723, which shows the times and dates of the 204B detail, is the controlling document for determining whether an employee is in a 204B status. A separate PS Form 1723 is used for each detail. A single detail may not be broken up multiple PS Form 1723 for the purpose of using a 204B on overtime in lieu of a bargaining unit employee. Article 41 1A2 requires that a copy of the Form 1723 be provided to the union at the local level. So don't be mis uh, misconstrued or fooled by management that, oh, well, you know, we're going to use him today and then tomorrow he'll be back as a 204B and then moving forward next week he'll also not be in a 204B status on Monday. Then moving forward he will – they can't do that. They have to provide in advance a modification to the detail and they must provide in advance when he's being assigned to a detail. Okay. So we want to be uh, knowledgeable that this individual, if he's in a 204B capacity and you haven't received a modification in advance and this individual's performing bargaining unit work, that he's improperly performing that work. He is essentially stealing from the letter carry craft because he is still detailed because we never received a modification. Okay? So... Prior to that individual, or prior to us even getting into this grievance as far as management performing bargaining unit work, we want to make sure that management's being held to their responsibilities of providing to the union in advance the detail or to the union in advance a modification to the detail. All right, so be sure that you're filing that grievance. We want to make sure that they're doing the things that they're required to do, just like they want to wear our ass out about everything that we're supposed to be doing. Again, we're not trying to run the station, but we're damn sure going to make sure that they're running and doing their duties in accordance with our four corners of our contractual bargain agreements. For a remedy in that case, we're going to ask that management will cease and desist violating Article 41 1A2 of the National Agreement at the blank station slash post office in the future, and that management provide the local union a copy of the PS Form 1723 for letter carriers working as a 204B supervisor at least one day in advance of the beginning and of whenever a change occurs at the to the higher level details whenever possible or whatever step B team or arbitrator deems appropriate. So we're going to establish that management will stop and discontinue the violation of failing to provide to the union in advance the detail assignment or a modification. That's going to set our platform moving forward that if we continue violating the same provisions, then we're going to ask for something in and above to help create a cessation and continual grievances being filed over the same uh, dispute that's already been settled. Correct? Just like Mr. Kerr said, we're going to go ahead and start building our platform. We're going to start building our case file. And I've talked to y'all in the past about being organized. And, you know, I'll say this. I'm fortunate enough to come from a big branch that has, you know, office space, filing cabinets, things that we're capable of keeping up with. But if you're in a smaller, smaller branch, smaller station, it, it, it's imperative for you to just create a filing system to where you can reflect back to those decisions so you can use them moving forward if they continue down the same pattern. 
you're going to develop the Article 15 argument that they are no longer bargaining in good faith because they continue to violate the same agreement that they've committed a, um, that they were going to cease and desist on. Correct? So we're going to ask for monetary value or monetary award and helps as an incentive for them to be contractually compliant. So that's always critical as a steward, as a union representative. Organization is key. It's something that can't be uh, stated enough that we want to have good filing, good record keeping, and be able to use those decisions to our benefit. So let's get into management performing bargaining unit work and who can and who cannot perform bargaining unit work, when it's appropriate for an individual to be performing bargaining unit work. A lot of questions out there about you know a 204B, um, if they worked overtime the day prior, the day after, are they still allowed to perform bargaining unit work? A lot of questions, and we want to get into all those. I hope um, this, this portion will cover some of the things that you've been wanting to gain knowledge about and be able to effectively grieve a particular circumstance in your station. I, I say circumstance because this is a grievance sometimes, especially with 204Bs, that you will see that there's a variety of situations that could arise. Really, really could. And each case will be decided based on the particular facts and circumstances that are involved. So not sure we'll you know, every circumstance that's happened out there, every circumstance that exists will cover right here, but we want to give a foundation, just a good structure for moving forward to be able to effectively grieve management performing bargain unit work. I'm going to start off by saying the first example that I used is the, the blatant, the in-your-face violation, where you walk in and you see management, uh, visibly actively casing mail you may see management visibly and actively robbing up our mail uh, bringing hot case mail around to each case putting it on the ledge essentially performing bargaining unit work that we're supposed to be doing but first before we get into it we're going to reflect to our jcam we're going to look in here and find exactly what it says pertaining to bargaining unit work we're going to get the education that we need, the contractual language that we're going to build our grievance around because we're going to have the facts of the contract and then we're going to have the facts of information and reports and documentation to support a violation of that provision and then we're going to have our arguments that go along with it. And we're going to effectively build a case. We're going to talk about information in this next segment that you might want to request we're going to build a case file that evidences a clear violation of management performing bargain unit work. You know, I, when I come on here, I essentially want to be able to help a, a brand new steward, uh, a, a steward that's been serving at some time, a formal A representative, whoever, whoever to be able to put together a grievance case file. Um, I, I'm not as poetic or have the stories that you know Mr. Walton has when he's describing a particular issue, but my hopes when I come on here is to be able to help you put together a file that's ready to kick management's ass, to one that's going to get the bargaining unit paid and one that's going to potentially move forward to cause a cessation in grievances for the constant erosion of our contractual bargaining agreements. That's my hopes here. So when we talk about information and we talk about reports, I want to expound upon why I think that's crucial. 
I also want to talk about our issue statement, our facts and contentions and remedy salt, but I also want to talk about how to build this file and put it together so you can be successful at your level. I'm not an expert again. I've dealt with this many a times in my installation. I will say this, uh, damn it, I'm undefeated <laughs> with this particular subject matter in my installation in the five years. And it's one that we have uh, investigated and dove into and peeled back layers and went through reports and documentation because I wanted to find that sneaky son of a bitch out there so bad because I knew it happened. I knew it took place, but we had to evidence it. And it's just a fun grievance. And so I, I want y'all to enjoy it as much as I do when I know it took place and I want to find it and I'm going to nail this dude to the wall for what he did. And when they lie to you, it especially makes it more gratifying because when you bring it to their attention, oh, absolutely not, JP. No, 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 no. Well, who did it? I had to look back at, at the reports. You know, I'm not real sure. We'll go ahead and start getting them because I'm damn sure fixing to get them. And then we're going we're gonna to have this discussion again later. Nothing more beautiful than seeing the look on their face when you present the documentation to them that, yes, you son of a bitch, you did it. Or so-and-so did it, and we caught you, and you lied to me. Just like y'all do. And they think nothing about it. A lot of them is a dime a dozen. Uh, if you've done this long enough, or you've been in the postal service long enough, uh, a lie from management, if we had a nickel for every one, we would be some rich people. But anyhow, so as we get into this, I want to help you build uh, your position, be able to help you gain knowledge. So we're going to start off in our JCAM. We're going to look into the index, and we're going to go straight to bargaining unit work. And you'll find that on index-2. You'll see it right there, bargaining unit work. And it's going to prompt us down there, supervisors prohibited from performing. It's going to refer to us to Article 1, Section 6. That's going to start on page 1-4. So now we got the, the playbook, the guidelines for supervisors performing and bargaining unit work. And we're just going to go ahead and read this section. We're going to go over it. That way we know exactly what management's potential arguments could be and what the contract says as far as the latitude for them to be able to perform bargaining unit work. So let's go. Article 1.6.A. It's titled Performance of Bargaining Unit Work. Supervisors are prohibited from performing bargaining unit work at post offices with 100 or more bargaining unit employees except. So here's our parameters. In an emergency. And they'll often use in an emergency. But we're going to argue, and you'll see in our contentions later on, that this was not an unforeseen circumstance. This was not an emergency declared by the Postmaster General. This was not because of sick calls or not because trying to make a certain time. The emergency did not exist. Okay? Uh, so don't be fooled by, you know, their contentions of, well, we had sick calls that day or, you know, we weren't particularly expecting this heavy mail volume. That in itself does not constitute an emergency. Number two is for the purpose of training or instructing of employees. That's why we got on-the-job instructors. To assure the proper operation of equipment. To protect the safety of the employee. To protect the property of the USPS. And then it goes on that we read a minute ago about the prohibition against supervisors performing in bargaining unit work also applies to acting supervisors 204B. 
We've already talked about how it states here, the 1723, which will show the times and dates of that 204B tale, is the controlling document. That's ultimately going to be the, the, the controlling document that states the begin time, the end time, and that he was in a 204B capacity. It also states that an acting supervisor may not, 204B, may not be used in lieu of a bargaining unit employee for the purpose of bargaining unit overtime. An employee detailed to an acting supervisory position will not perform bargaining unit overtime immediately prior or immediately after such a detail on the day he or she was in a 204B status unless all available bargaining unit employees are utilized. Now, we have a step four document that goes with this that we're going to go over here in a minute. Well, let's go ahead and go over it now because a lot of questions as far as when they can and when they cannot be performing bargaining unit overtime. So there's two M documents that I want to read to try to clarify questions about when can a, a 204B carry mail, when does the overtime prior to or immediately after become an effect. M document 01177 states the following. The issue in this case is whether management violated the national agreement when an employee who had been working in a 204B assignment earlier in the day worked bargaining unit overtime at the conclusion of his shift. And this is what the parties agreed to in their discussions. One, an acting supervisor, 204B, will not be utilized in lieu of a bargaining unit employee for the purpose of bargaining unit overtime. The PS Form 1723 shall determine the time and date an employee begins and ends the detail. An employee detailed to an acting supervisory position will not perform bargaining unit overtime immediately prior to or immediately after such detail unless all available bargaining unit employees are utilized. This same M document is reflected in M document 014. Two, six. Again, you'll find these on the website, both of these, but 01426 reflects back to 1177, but it adds another little stipulation. The issue in this grievance is whether management violated the national agreement when acting supervisor 204B performed craft overtime on a day immediately following a higher level detail. So this is when he performed overtime. Let's say his detail starts on Tuesday. He performed overtime on Monday. And the discussion that this one's pertaining to is that improper, that he performed overtime on Monday prior to him going into 204B status on Tuesday. And during the discussion, they mutually agreed uh, to the following, that we also agreed that this issue has been settled between the parties through numerous Step 4 decisions, as well as the pre-arbitration settlement in case number, and that's the M document that we just talked about, M01177, but they further agreed the 204B detail had ended, and therefore the employee was not prohibited from performing bargaining unit overtime on the day following the termination of the detail. Okay, so now, now we got a better understanding of what they're talking about as far as immediately prior or immediately after. Uh, for 204B, if an individual's regular schedule, let's say, is 7.30 to 4, that's his eight-hour shift, that this individual will not come in and work overtime from 6 to 7.30 and then go into a 204B status and finish out his day, okay? Because he has now performed bargaining unit overtime prior to the detail on the same day. 
So when I talked to you earlier about the variety of cases, uh, just depends upon the actual facts in those situations. It wouldn't be a violation if he worked Monday as a letter carrier and worked 10 hours. And then on Tuesday, he walks in and does a 204B detail. As long as we have the 1723 identifying that he starts on Tuesday, it was provided in advance, that would not be a problem. The problem would therefore lie if he came in at 7.30 and worked till 4 o'clock as a 204B and then performed bargaining unit overtime on the same day afterwards. Okay, that's what the, the M document prohibits them from doing. So that's when we got clarification now of our parameters of when they can perform bargaining unit overtime. Hopefully explain that correctly to you guys or being able to explain it in a way you understood it correctly. Again, not immediately or after their detail. If they perform bargaining unit overtime the day prior to their detail, that's okay. Once their detail starts, they cannot perform before or after that detail. The JCAM goes on to further state branches that wish to determine whether a post office has 100 or more bargaining unit employees should contact their MBA's office. And it goes on to state that the settlement agreement for M document 0026 between the NALC and USPS, which was intended to be of general application, provides that where additional work hours would have been assigned to an employee's but for a violation of Article 1.6a and where such work hours are not de minimis, the employees whom management would have assigned the work shall be paid for the time involved at the applicable rate, meaning if we can uh, satisfy a violation of Article 1.6, that we can evidence that this took place, that the individual was improperly performing bargaining unit work, the JCAM establishes that the individuals who could have performed this work be the ones that receive the compensation. Now, I had a word in here, de minimis. What does de minimis mean? It gives us the definition of trifling, unimportant, inconsequential. Let's say you have a 204B or supervisor or manager that likes to go around in the morning and just throw everybody's hot case mail on the ledge. He's essentially grabbing your hot case mail, doing your work, and but he's throwing it on the ledge. That could be considered de minimis because how much of time was actually associated with that individual performing that work. Now we see it. We know it. It's blatant. It's right in front of our faces. Other letter carriers are asking you, what are you going to do about it? So we can file a grievance, and I'm going to file the hell out of it, that he ceased and desist robbing my mail up or grabbing my hot case mail and throwing it up on my ledge. But what kind of time is associated with something that took seconds, Right. I mean, how are we going to eventually try to get individuals compensated for that? Well, I'll tell you how I would do it. And how I do it is just how I would do it. it may not be how you would do it. I would let it ride for a period of either seven days or maybe even up to 14 days. I would have my letter carrier statements. I would have the file that evidences, you know, through numerous statements or interviews that so-and-so, Supervisor Joe, has been robbing up our mail for a period of seven or 14 days and bring it around to every letter carrier's case and try to establish out of those 14 days, he probably essentially took 10 to 15 minutes from each of us 
try to establish more of a time than just filing a single violation on one particular day. Now, we want the individual to cease and desist. That that's the most important thing. But to try to gain compensation out of it, filing a single day is probably going to be a little bit hard. It's going to be considered de minimis, that it was not really of any kind of value. It just really prohibited you from performing a small function of your office time. But moving forward, we'll be able to establish that, hey, this happened over a period of 7 to 14 days, and we're going to evidence that through interviews and statements, and that effectively you did take over a period of time 15 minutes from letter carriers to be able to properly withdraw their mail and rob up their own hot case. And we're going to ask that you be given compensation for that. So that's one way to maybe try to work around de minimis and um, to get carriers compensated for management performing bargain unit work. But the contract clearly states that those employees who would have been assigned that work shall be paid at the applicable rate. So that's huge for us and our remedy that we're always going to ask for the amount of time that we're able to evidence that management performed our work, that we be paid for that, that my brothers and sisters are compensated for the amount of money that they reached in our pockets and took out from us. The JCAM goes on here again to define emergency an emergency is defined as article 3.f and if you listen to the rule craft episode you understood that that's management's argument 3.f uh, defines what emergency is and it's defined as an unforeseen circumstance or a combination of circumstances which calls for immediate action in a situation which is not expected to be of recurring nature okay the next portion is 1.6b and this is going to talk to offices with 100 or less years. Now, I'm from an installation that has 100 or more, okay? So it's strictly prohibited. If I see management performing any bargaining unit work, I'm grieving the hell out of it. I'm grieving it if they touch my mail in the morning. I'm grieving it if they're out there delivering packages. I'm grieving it if they're taking takeoffs out to letter carriers. I'm grieving it if they're out there delivering our mail. I want all that to stop. I want our work to be protected. That's what you're representing. That's what you're doing when you're representing the four corners and your bargaining unit for your letter carriers, your brothers and sisters, that our work will not be messed with. That's what you're standing up for. And no matter what they say to you, well, I'm just trying to help you get out of here earlier. I'm just trying to make sure that everybody's happy and taken care of. I'm just wanting you to quit stealing our money. Period because you're prohibited from doing it. But 1.6b talks about smaller offices, and it states, in offices with less than 100 bargaining unit employees, supervisors are prohibited for, for, from performing bargaining unit work except as enumerated in section 6a1 through 5, which we talked about, or when the duties are included in the supervisor's position description. I'm going to grieve it no matter what. Okay, guys? That's what I'm going to do. I will ask for that supervisor's job description, but I'm going to go ahead and tell you that more than likely it's not going to have delivering city mail, city route one, okay? So we're going to grieve that, and we're also going to go and reflect upon the rest of this JCAM knowledge right here where it says the step four decision, M-200, provides that no matter what appears in a supervisor's job description, it does not authorize the supervisor to perform bargaining unit work as a matter of course every day, but rather to meet established service standards. Furthermore, the pre-arbitration uh, pre settlement, 
provides that where the phrase distribution task or may personally perform non-supervisory task is found in a supervisor's job description does not include casing mail into letter carrier cases. So you smaller offices out there, don't be uh, misguided or buffaloed into believe in management's argument. Well, you know, there's times that we can. I'm going to grieve the fact that they're performing bargaining unit work and we're going to want it to cease and desist, okay? Example one again, blatant, right in front of our face. How are we going to build our case file for that? Well, we touched on it a second ago, statements, interviews, things of that nature. We can go ahead and establish a prima facie case. We can already go ahead and establish that it took place, and now it will be management's burden to go against our prima facie case that we established through statements and interviews that they didn't do this. Okay, we're going to go ahead and get that as a matter of record from our brothers and sisters that they came in and we saw the individual casing up these routes or splitting, um, doing pivots, robbing up mail, performing our work when they were improperly to do so. So let's talk about the second example. This is the one that's going to require you to put your, your steward hat on, your detective hat. To get involved, to get those hands dirty, to get information and reports and documents to be able to help you and assist you. Uh, some of this information that we're going to go over, that we're going to request, because it, it's, it's not extensive and there may be less and there may be more. There may be only a couple pieces of this you need. You may need additional information. But nevertheless, when I'm investigating a particular situation like this, to where let's say I'm pretty 99 something percent sure that there was a takeoff left in the building when I left out and I know because I'm the steward and have a pretty good idea of the layout and the overlay of the station that everybody had a takeoff and we all come back at the end of the day and that mail's gone and I start getting suspicious about who particularly maybe had delivered it and I can't seem to get an answer from anybody. And so I start feeling like management has now delivered this takeoff that was left in the building. It's going to require me to put on my investigation hat and to dive in and find where this individual did it. So when we start talking about some of this information, it's important, and I've spoke about it before, of understanding postal applications and programs that they utilize. That's where we're going to gain our information, our burden of proof. We're going to use their tools to their detriment, but we must know how and what these reports are. And over the course of time, I've accumulated things from wherever. I can't even tell you where some of the stuff even came from. Google search, just wherever. But I obtained it, I saved it, but I'll share it with y'all. And I don't have any problem with doing that. And so I asked Jeremy to put on the website there is um a couple doice um examples of information and reports there's a doice guide on there that will go through all the reports that are available through doice what those reports consist of the definition for those reports what they're utilized for and maybe that will help you not only in this particular situation but any other situation help you to be able to evidence a violation through their applications. So look over that information, see if that's potentially beneficial to you. There was also, I come across a DOI's PowerPoint on a 
presentation for management on how they should utilize DOIS, why I think their utilization's bullshit, I still like the PowerPoint presentation to be able to help me understand what they're looking at and how I can use it to my benefit. You know, when I tell you I'm trying to play chess while they're playing checkers, I'm going to do everything I can to gain as much knowledge about the, the programs and the applications that they use on a daily basis. I'm going to find a way to be able to use that to support my grievance. And that way, when I meet at, uh, at informal or formal step A and I push my case file across the table to management, I know it's filled with not only an issue, but I know my burden of proof has been met and it's been met with their own documentation and I'm pushing over essentially their ass. And I'm going to ask that my letter carriers be paid for that time that they stole from us. There's also on there a... NALC booklet for analyzing the tax employee everything report. If you're a new steward out there that's getting passionately involved and you're trying to gain as much knowledge as you can, I'm going to go ahead and encourage you <clears throat> to definitely review the tax employee everything report, how to analyze that clock ring, because the clock ring is going to be the bloodline to a lot of grievances that you investigate in your future. You're definitely going to want to know all the things, the clock ring, evidences, all the details that it goes through from the heading to the body of the clock ring, how to identify moves, everything, designation activity codes, how to be able to evidence in, uh, what individual status the employee is in. But nevertheless, you're going to want to be able to decipher that clock ring from top to bottom. You're going to want to be a professional at analyzing clock rings. That is, again, the, from Article 8s to Article 1s to Article 7s, uh, the list goes on and on. You're going to want to know how to analyze that clock ring properly. So that's also on there. I also put a guide on there. It's for RIMS. A lot of things that come out of RIMS that we could be uh, that we can utilize for our benefit, and we're going to go over how it could be beneficial in this particular grievance. But RIMS is a program that they have that is going to associate a lot of our package scan data, and one of the best ways to be able to identify management out there performing bargaining unit work is through the packages and the barcodes that they're scanning out there while they're performing our duties and we'll be able to gain that information through their own program. So if you look at that RIMS user guide that I found on, on Google or Bing or whatever it was, just simply typing it in, uh, USPS RIMS user manual, and just kept at it until I found something that, was, that popped up that I said, this is what I need, and you'll see it as well. Read over that. Read over that. See if there's something in there that's going to benefit you. I like it's under reports, uh, I believe, section 3 that we're going to go over here today, but it definitely tells you how we can gain information on scan package data, whether it be through the device ID, whether it be through the route ID, the date, uh, whatever it may be. There's four or five different types, but anyhow, zip code, you're going to want to know how to be able to utilize this, these reports to your benefit. So we, we come to the second example where we know management has performed our work we're 99 percent sure that there was mail delivered by that damn 204b supervisor or that two uh supervisor or manager that's in your station and if we have a 1723 that has detailed that supervisor to being a supervisor he is prohibited from performing our work 
unless it was for an Article 3.F unforeseen circumstance or a combination of circumstances that rose to an emergency. So right before we hit this information request, there's even been a question about can a 204B supervisor perform, uh, come in and perform bargaining unit work on his non-scheduled day? So the 1723 that we have uh, identifies that his non-scheduled day is such and such. And so management's argument is, well, it's his non-scheduled day, so we used him today to perform bargaining unit work to carry letter carrier mail. I want to hit an M document that directly answers this question for you brothers and sisters. And it is M document 00891. And it states the following, in full and complete settlement of this case, it is agreed. And an employee serving as a temporary supervisor 204B is prohibited from performing bargaining unit work, except to the extent otherwise provided in Article 1, Section 6 of the National Agreement. Therefore, a temporary supervisor is ineligible to work overtime in the bargaining unit while detailed, even if the overtime occurs on a non scheduled day and again you're going to see this comment form 1723 which shows the times and dates of a 204b detail is the controlling document for determining whether an employee is in a 204b status it tells you that management may prematurely terminate a 204b detail by furnishing an amended form 1723 to the appropriate union representative in such cases, the amended form 1723 should be provided in advance. That means if I did not receive a modified 1723 terminating that 204B from being in a supervisor capacity, he is still on such detail and is prohibited from performing bargaining unit work. The contract is clear. And it's going to be up to you guys to be able to determine through these M documents through the MRS under 204Bs, that this particular situation does not apply. They cannot come in on a non-scheduled day if they are still up on such detail. And that 1723 is the controlling document. It goes on to state, if the union representative is not available, the form shall be provided to the union rep as soon as practical or, if he, or when she or he becomes available. And in this case, the grievant, Mr. So-and-so will be paid eight hours at the overtime rate. So just like the JCAM said, <clears throat> where proven violation is evidence, the, the payment or the proper compensation will be given to the individual who should have been performing in the work. So this 204B was improperly carrying or performing bargaining unit work, carrying mail, when the individual who was proper, who was a letter carrier sitting at home, should have been working. So another situation where that answers your question as far as what about a situation on a non-scheduled day? These are, again, a lot of times management arguments. They're, they're going to come up with anything to try to get you off the track of filing this grievance, okay? So back to our information. <clears throat> so we're pretty sure that a situation occurred and we want to evidence it. We're not sure who delivered this mail, so how are we going to find it? You know, it's like a scavenger hunt. You know, we got to dig through. We got to run everywhere. We're going to follow all the clues until we can put them all together and put our file together to evidence management violated Article 1 of the National Agreement. You're going to want to request the controlling document, PS Form 1723.
for the 204B supervisor who's been detailed. We want that PS Form 1723 so we can see the date and time he started his detail to the date and time he ended his detail. Remember, all these M documents, when it pertains to 204B, state clearly that the 1723 is the controlling document. You're also gonna want the tax, employee everything reports, and I want it for all carriers, I want it for all the CCAs, and I want it for the EAS management, including the 204B. I want a complete tax EER for uh, the overlay of the entire station. I wanna be able to see everybody's movements that day. And again, I'm gonna encourage you to, if you're not sure on how to really decode or analyze a clock ring, use that guide. It breaks it down beautifully to be able to help you analyze that clock ring from top to bottom. That information is for you to be able to go over so you can be a expert at analyzing a clock ring. But we want that entire overlay of the station. I'm gonna ask for the PS form 3997, that's your daily schedule. That's the PS form for that, but it's your daily schedule. And we're, we're in hopes that we see management detailing out to the side, the pivots. You know, like I said, this is going to be you having to put your investigation hat on cross-referencing time codes to the daily schedule, looking for that piece that's unidentified to any letter carrier. Okay, we're going to have to be able to nail this down write all our notes out to the side and be able to find that piece of mail that section of of mail that went to a letter carrier's route who we're trying to identify was not performed by any letter carrier that was actually performed by management i'm going to get the tax employee listing report for the entire station the listing report is just that it's a listing of every employee in your unit in your station but it's going to have also their designation activity codes, their D-slash-A codes. You know, for full-time letter carriers, we're, we're designated as a 13-4, CCAs, 84-4, clerks, 11-0, PSEs, 83-3. Um, the EAS is going to be 090. And so we're going to want to be able to identify EINs, associated with that designation activity code but again we just have a complete overlay of every individual that's in our unit i'm going to get an overtime sign up sheet i want to know the overtime sign up sheet for the quarter that we're in regards to we just started our fourth quarter so i want the overtime sign up sheet for october november december so i can properly evidence the individuals that are on the overtime desired list, that are on the work assignment only, down to the non-ODLs, in case of a situation where an individual, let's say like in the M document, the 204B carried mail on a non-scheduled day, his non-scheduled day, but he was still detailed under the 1723 to a 204B status where an individual that was on the overtime desired list was sitting at home. But I won't know that unless I have this ODL list. Again, I want a complete overlay of my entire station when I'm um, or investigating a grievance of this nature. I'm going to ask for the 3996s for all employees on that date. Now you say, why, why do I want the 3996s? What's that going to help me do? Well, let's say I'm city carrier <clears throat> on Route 1. It's a Monday, it's heavy. And I come in and I got you know, what looks like been distributed in my case is going to take me essentially, let's say, uh, two hours. 
more than the eight hours uh, that I'm there for. So I'm going to need 10 hours today to be able to deliver, you know, case, deliver everything that's been distributed to my route. So I'm requesting either two hours of overtime or two hours auxiliary assistance. My manager come over and approves me for two hours of auxiliary assistance. So I essentially go through and leave back behind two hours of auxiliary assistance to be performed by somebody. But I have a 3996 that also directly reflects that. Well, if I'm a steward and I'm investigating this grievance and I see Mr. JB left a two-hour auxiliary piece off City Route 1 Monday and we're not really sure who did it, I already know that I'm looking for that piece. I'm already going to talk to JB, see what he left back, you know, what section of his route was left behind. Look on the PS form 3996 if he indicated what section of the route was left behind. And I'm going to go ahead and start my investigation in that direction. I already got a little bit of piece of the puzzle. My path that I'm, you know, my scavenger hunt, that trail I'm following, I've already got me a clue. And I'm going to keep following clues. But I wouldn't know that if I didn't request the 3996s. So I want those in case that I can go ahead and evidence, maybe identify exactly what I'm looking for. I've talked about this report before. I'm going to talk about it again. I think it's just monumental when it comes to these particular types of grievances. I talked about it in uh, rural carriers performing city work or CCAs performing rural carrier work. And how do we identify that? And especially in cases where management will attempt to hide uh, individuals performing bargaining unit work. Okay. So if I'm looking through, and just like I told you on the 3996, we've already identified by talking to JB, he left the first two hours of his assignment. And we know those streets, we know those locations, we know his route. And so this particular report out of DMS, it is the street, ma uh, street management route detail report. And we're going to ask for that report by route number. Okay. Now back on episode 65 on the CCA's performing rural carrier work, uh, Jeremy did put up an example of this DMS report. And when you open it up in Excel, you'll be able to see that you can expand the columns. And why that's so beneficial is right there between D and G, you, get, you keep expanding because they keep those closed when they provide this report to you. But when you keep expanding those, it will give you the EIN employee information of the particular person who performed that duty. And that report evidences packages. Who scanned and delivered that package? And so as I'm looking down through that employee and I see all these packages and I'm seeing JB, JB's name, JB's name, and then all of a sudden I come down to 204B sorry ass and I see his EIN and it's associated with him scanning packages or I see supervisor or manager Joe Blow and I see his name and EIN associated with scanning and delivering those packages, I have now evidence that management was performing bargaining unit work. We have now caught management doing our job. Okay, so whether uh, the clock rings didn't evidence it or, you know, the the other information that we got didn't evidence it. We now have something that we can rely upon and establish a time associated with the amount of delivery because it will tell you what time these packages were scanned and you'll be able to um, formulate how long they were out there delivering our duties. Okay, so that's the DMS 
Street Management Route Detail Report. And again, go back to episode 65, take a peek at that report. Uh, It can be used in several other grievances, but in this particular case, when you're trying to find, I don't want to say a needle in a haystack, but when you're trying to peel all those layers back and they're trying to definitely cover up their tracks, this one right here is something that you can't cover up. So that would be huge for you. Also, we could look at the DOICE Route Carrier Daily Performance Analysis Report. When you look at that DOICE user guide, it will tell you exactly what this report is. It will tell you the benefits from it, what is recorded in it. This report is a direct reflection of the tax clock rings that are uploaded into DOICE. It's a day after report. And so when I'm looking at this report and I look at JB's Route 1 and I don't see anything but his name, and I just see that it was an eight-hour day for this individual. And I got a 3996 that says, well, hold on, there was two hours of auxiliary assistance. I'm going to start putting all these reports together to be able to show that management is deliberately covering up them performing bargaining unit work. I'm going to show that they not only did it, but they egregiously tried to hide their tracks Okay, so it'll look better as you meet in the steps of your grievance process that not only did they do it, but they vehemently tried to cover up the damn thing that they did. And that's what management is, a bunch of shady asses. We're also going to want the work hour workload report by route for that date. And you say, why Why would we want this report? Right now we're under this T-REAP, T-A-RAP. Tie wrap, I don't, I've heard it pronounced so many damn different ways. I, I just start saying tie wrap, but I've heard T reap, tie wrap. So we'll, but you know what the hell I'm talking about if you listen to this podcast because it, it's been extensively gone over. But anyhow, uh, we're currently under this process. And so if we have grievances where management has been performing and bargaining unit work and we have this work hour workload to put together with it, we're going to want these. T-REAP individuals that are designated to um, do our consultations and to adjust our routes to be knowledgeable that we got grievances in this building where management was performing bargaining unit work that didn't re- didn't directly reflect back to our routes. So we're not going to want management to be able to use designated times, okay? So if you had this in the past, especially January through May, where those lot numbers have already been drawn and you had grievances, make sure you're presenting those to management uh, not management, but our uh, team members, so they can definitely address those in their process. But we're going to want that work hour workload uh, report by route for the dating question because more likely than not, again, it's not going to show the two-hour auxiliary assistance associated with my assignment because management did the shit, and they don't want anybody to know about it. So we're definitely going to pull that report. And here's a new one that I hadn't gone over, but I put that user manual on on the website. Jeremy gave it to him to put that user manual. And I just want you to be able to use this to your benefit. You can definitely use this in conjunction with that DMS report. But it's called the RIMS Scan Records by Route ID. And again, you can request that information Uh, Five different ways, but if I already know by looking and digging through and doing my proper investigation that JB on Route 1 was given two hours of auxiliary assistance, left a two-hour auxiliary piece behind, and we haven't been able to identify who delivered this two-hour piece and management hasn't been forthcoming with who did it, this route right here is going to be scanned records by Route ID. You can do it by device ID, but that would require you to know what device management had in their possession. 
I got a funny story real quick. I'm sorry I, I'm getting off uh, track. But anyhow, as a matter of fact, I had Jeremy. Uh, I, I sent Jeremy the uh, video. We had this particular grievance where we knew management delivered this mail. We knew the supervisor was out there and uh, the steward and I was talking about it. And I gave him a list of information. I gave him this list of information. So he started pursuing his grievance. But along the way of his investigation, about three or four days later, after the date in question, my man was approached out on the route by a customer. And he said, you know, I call this individual Crosby. He said, Crosby? He said, well, you wasn't here on Monday, was you? And he said, no, sir, I was gone. He said, well, hell, whoever delivered my mail drove a white Ford Focus and was going down the wrong side of the damn road. And Crosby said, do what now? And he said, yeah. He said, the car just come all the way, all the way down the road, driving the exact opposite into homecoming traffic, a left-hand drive vehicle delivering mail. And Crosby said, well, you shit me. He said, well, no. He said, hell, I, I, I laughed about it so hard. He said, I, I saved it on my ring doorbell camera. <laughs> so my man asked the homeowner if he minded if we got the ring doorbell camera. And you can imagine uh, how giddy and, uh, you know, excited I was. You know, if you've, if you've done grievances long enough, when you get that, uh, when you get that bulletproof, that magic bullet, you just can't wait to get your hands on it. And so I'll never forget Crosby came up there and we plug in the flash drive and you'll look at the video. You see this, <laughs> you see this guy, he comes down driving the opposite direction. From an individual, uh, from a group of individuals who always talk about how safe we need to be. From some hypocritical asses that always want to talk about how letter carriers are out there violating the rules. This sorry sack of shit is driving the wrong way into oncoming traffic, stealing our money, delivering mail. And he comes into the picture, services the mailbox, and then he drives straight down the curb again into oncoming traffic, servicing the whole, uh, I think it ended up being about two and a half hours worth of the route that we were able to identify through these reports and, of course, the magic bullet ring doorbell camera. What was surprising is management was adamantly lying that they didn't do it. We didn't do it. We don't know who did it. We didn't do it. So anyhow, later in the video, you see the homeowner. He walks out, and he's getting his mail. And I just crack up because as he's getting his mail, he's looking down at the road with the, with the look on his face like, who in the hell was that? And it's, the, it's definitely the supervisor. We knew it was. The, the white Ford Focus is a postal vehicle that's parked there at this particular station. But we knew we was fixing to get this money. But you know what? When I talk about playing chess... Instead of playing checkers and talking with Crosby and we started talking about how we were, you know, not only meeting on this grievance and excited to get letter carriers paid and building our position. You talk about using something to build your position. How do you think it looks in a station for management to in turn issue disciplinary action to a letter carrier for not following minor safety rules out on a route? for maybe an individual not having his seatbelt on while he was observed. And now these are legitimate rules now, and I understand that. 
but instead of addressing it through maybe a minor 16-2 discussion for having an opportunity for a positive reflection out there on the street, what do they do? Oh, hell, we got to put him off the clock, or oh, hell, he, he took a right turn with his door open or went through an intersection with his door open or didn't have his flashers on, oh, shit. But here we are promoting a supervisor to drive backwards down a road. The biggest thing we got out of this grievance not only was getting letter carriers paid, we knew he was getting that. But moving forward from that day, when I talk about discipline should be issued consistently and equitably, that that's a just cause principle that management should be able to answer yes to, right? The just cause principles in the form of a question and management should be able to satisfy that question with a yes. Is discipline consistently and equitably enforced in your station? And we asked for that supervisor's discipline, and to their dismay, they looked at us like we were crazy. Anyway, he didn't get any discipline. No shit. I bet he didn't because you allowed him to drive down a road into oncoming traffic to deliver mail to save time as you lied about it. You know, it's not the smoking gun in a disciplinary action, but it looks damn good. To me, it's a, a hell of an argument that, yeah, letter carrier Joe... May have had his seatbelt on when management popped up for an observation. I get that. My man needs to wear his seatbelt. But instead of raking him over the coals and giving him first step to remove or getting over egregious and giving him a suspension, here we've promoted unsafe behavior in this station. So how are you going to hold this individual to a higher standard that you don't even hold the, the individual that should be setting the, the damn example? Anyways, I got I got a little <laughs> got a little off there, but that was a, a just a fun grievance. And when I tell you these are fun, they are fun. Okay, so we're gonna get all this information. We're gonna scour through it. We're gonna look at these reports. We're gonna look at the smaller things that we can start getting an overlay. And then as we dig through them and we start cross-referencing them and we look at the 3996s, we look at the route carrier daily, we look at the ERs, um, all those things, we can identify the individuals that particularly it pertains to, okay? And that's what I'm saying. It's There's no uh, perfect scenario to be able to give you in a podcast other than you are going to get this information, you're going to scour through it, and you're going to be able to identify somebody out there performing our duties. Now, what if management decides to load up their vehicles and go take pivots, take off splits, whatever, out to letter carriers? You know, hey, I'll, I'll, so-and-so's not done pulling it down. I'll bring it out there to you when it's done. Grieve it. They can call so-and-so and have them report back to the station when so-and-so is done pulling it down. And then we will, in turn, take that pivot out there and deliver it. Management should not be loading up my takeoff, bringing it out to me, and giving it to me. They are essentially transporting and carrying mail. We're going to grieve that in the form of a statement from the letter carrier who management went out there to see to give the mail. We're going to grieve that. We're going to grieve anything that pertains to them doing anything as far as it pertains to bargaining unit work. That is our time, that is our money, and that is not for them to put their grubby-ass little hands over. We're going to protect that time. There's been numerous grievances in my installation where management thought it would be crafty because the 204B... What they were doing was is the 204Bs would sit on the desk... Um, every week but every monday management was making them come back and carry their assignment 
but they would not terminate the 1723. They didn't provide it in advance. So while we were filing on that particular subject matter, we was also filing on the fact that the 204B was performing in bargaining unit work. Well, when these grievances hit the fan, and this was last year during peak season, all through about the end of October through November, first couple of weeks of December, we were filing these every week. Uh, stewards did a tremendous job. I can't thank them enough. They were on it. I mean, they were on it. We, we discussed it. We talked about it. We talked about the information that we wanted uh, to be in the case file and the grievance packet. And, you know, unfortunately, these went to a pre-arbitration settlement, even though we had all, you know, just like management does, refused to settle at the lowest level. But nevertheless, it, it really worked out in our, on our benefit. But, um, you know, we talked about it. We discussed it. We were on the same page. And so we started filing these every week because every week, in four stations, the 204B would go back and carry their assignment on Monday. But management wouldn't terminate the 1723 or provide it. So when it got to the information, the stewards were requesting the PS Form 1723 in addition to all this information that we've been going over. Well, management provided majority of that information, almost all of it, except the 1723. They always kept saying, we can't find it. In hopes, I guess, or the only thing I could hope for is that they thought that it would prohibit this grievance from moving forward. One, we already had the 1723 from the very initial detail. But I wanted to see if there was any amendments to it, of course, right? I mean, they were supposed to provide it in advance, so they didn't do that. Was there any modifications that we should be aware of? Nevertheless, they wouldn't provide the damn thing. So when I get to the formal Step A meeting... I had all this information, I already identified that the 204B was out there, but he kept saying, you don't have a 1723 that notates them being in a 204B status. I said, well, contrarily, I do. I had the original that was sent back in the 1st of October that moved them there. I said, but we needed to see if there was any modifications moving forward. But when you learn how to analyze the clock ring, you will also be able to see that on the tax EER, they're also designated to being in a 204B status. And I wanted y'all to be mindful of it. And also, I got Jeremy to put up the example of a tax EER clock ring for an individual that was designated to a 204B status. So I just want to go over it real quick. Now, I took the individual's name out of it and the station and everything, but I just wanted to be able to point out why you can tell this individual is in a 204B status. And real quickly... If you look in the heading portion, the, the portion that's outlined with box, you'll see right there coming down the left side of the piece of paper, you will see a base job description or a base job, and you will see what is a temp job. Next to the base, you see the 13-4. This individual is a full-time city letter carrier. He's designated by that by 13-4. But his temporary assignment here is 090. That's a supervisor designation activity code. And as you move across, you see EO17. That's what 204B supervisors, that's what level they're in, is a level 17 204B supervisor capacity. So when you look at this individual's clock ring, and you can see on July 16th, he carried mail. He carried mail on July 18th as well. But the reason we know this is because he was in a 204B status because you see right there under Saturday to the right, H-L, higher level, level 17, 
And then, of course, his generated automatic generated clock in shows him beginning his tour at 6. But he actually made a begin tour utilizing his MDD because in the city of Nashville, we use our MDDs to begin tour, uh, make all our moves. We no longer have the EBRs. But he made a begin tour at 7 and 4 clicks on the Route 1 in this particular station. So anyhow, I wanted the main purpose was for you to be able to identify in case they try to. Now, we're going to raise that Article 31 argument now, okay? They don't give us what we want, and we did in our case, and it was to their detriment. But anyhow, if they don't give us the forms that we're looking for, the information that we've requested, then we're going to continue with that Article 31 violation, and we're going to move forward. But we still have a document right here that evidences what we're trying to evidence as far as our Article 1 violation, and that this individuals in a higher level status and we know that because his tax eer clock ring designates him to that so anyhow let's go over our facts and contentions and our grievance we got this information we've made all our notations we've been able to identify the individual that performed this work we got our m documents that we've discussed we've printed off our contractual language we're putting together a damn file that's going to kick management's ass at informal and if they're too hesitant or reluctant or, or if they're too damn insecure to, to evidence the violation and send this to Formal A, we are handing our Formal A representative a case file that's ready to move to DRT. He's just going to have to put a few buttons and bows on it, and then he's going to get ready to move to DRT because you've already did the groundwork. You've already kicked ass on the ground room, on the ground workroom floor, and so now we're going to just put our facts and contentions with it, our arguments, and help our formal A representative out. And we're going to start off by our issue statement, and it's going to be the management at the blank post office violate Article 1 of the National Agreement when Supervisor blank performs city letter carrier bargaining unit work, and if so, what should the remedy be? Our facts, Supervisor so-and-so described work performed on date for approximately whatever we were able to identify, and this is verified by the statements and interviews in the case file. So if we're talking about maybe office function, office time that was stolen from us, we have statements and interviews that are going to be able to evidence this. It's going to have your, and this grievance starter is on the website, but it's going to have your Article 1.6 language. It's also going to touch on Article 1 and the prohibition against 204B supervisors, and we're going to go ahead and include for our... Um, uh, formal A rep, those M documents that we've discussed. If it pertains to your particular issue, you're going to put those, go ahead and put those in the case file. You're going to highlight those, and when you meet with management and informal, you're going to uh, indicate those and go over it with management and ask them, is this not the particular issue we have here? And get the response. You know, take those notes at informal, use those to your benefit of why they're not willing to settle when you're evidencing a clear violation. So when you move this to, to management at for, I mean, the union and management meeting at formal, he can there go for indicate your informal A representative is not bargaining in good faith and resettling this at the lowest level when the indication of a violation is clear. So we're going to want to point that out. Next, we're going to have our letter carrier 204B was in a 204B status on blank. This is documented by the PS form 1723 in the case file or like we just discussed by the tax EER clock ring that shows the 204B uh, supervisor in a higher level status. 
Additionally, Article 1 talks about uh, an emergency as an unforeseen circumstance. We're going to evidence the letter carriers that was available to perform this work. In the situation for my two-hour takeoff, you know, management could have assigned me that two hours. I'm on the overtime desired list, may be the case, or a work assignment only case, or a work assignment only carrier. Or there may have been other ODL carriers that were available to perform that duty instead of the supervisor or manager taking that time away from us. But we're going to evidence the individuals that were available to perform that work done by the supervisor. And that's going to be documented by the Tax Employee Everything Report that you've pulled and put in your file. You're also going to be able to evidence uh, when we talk about the time that was associated with what they took away. It could be through that DMS report. It might be through the REMS report. In cases that I had in Nashville, they were so damn stupid, they actually put the individual on the daily schedule for what he was uh, delivering. And so I even made moves, and like I said, the clock rings. So you never know what information is going to be vital in the end. So when I say request it all, I'm going to request it all. And that way I get a complete overlay of all the things that took place in my station on that particular day. Uh, it talks about the remedy, you know, down here in Article 1, that those hours associated with that time the 204B or management personnel was delivering, that work or time should be um, paid to the letter carrier at the applicable rate. It's also going to go over our contentions that management violated Article 1, Section 6, when supervisor so-and-so on date for approximately however many times delivered bargaining unit work. We're going to evidence that this individual is not training or instructing employees or assuring the proper operation of equipment or protecting the safety of employees. Hell, in my case, he was uh, going against every safety rule and uh, protocol that we have. He was delivering mail the wrong way. Uh, definitely go check that video out. You'll appreciate it. Um, I did my best to try to be able to get it to Jeremy. But anyhow, it, it, it was definitely something that when, when Crosby told me that we had, I just couldn't wait to get our hands on it. It was like kid on Christmas. You know what I'm saying? You ever had that individual that, or that something that you was waiting on on Christmas and then you get it? You're like, oh, man, well, that's how I felt when this video came through. We're going to go ahead and identify that sick calls, understaffing, heavy mail volume, etc. do not meet the qualifications of an emergency. And we're going to identify the harm. You know, that management's failure in this regard has caused significant harm to letter carriers who should have been assigned this work in the form of wages and benefits. Also, because supervisor so-and-so was not on a sit letter carrier function on the clock when they performed this work, any data from blank that management uses to evaluate and or adjust routes is inaccurate and should not be used. That's why we talked about earlier, making sure that these grievances, we keep good records because if we... Um, had situations between January and May of this year, and our uh, station becomes involved in the TRAP process. We want to make sure that those individuals are knowledgeable that we had grievances where management stole from our unit, because that's what they did. They essentially stole from your route and money. But also, moving forward, we're going to keep good records and let individuals know about that as well. So remedy in this case, we're going to ask that management cease and desist, violating Article 1, Section 6, that the letter carriers um, who we identify each be paid at the applicable rate for the time supervisor blank performs city letter carrier work, and we're going to list those names and amounts. And whether that would have been at the overtime rate or the penalty rate, we're going to ask for that rate for that individual, or maybe whatever rate that you have established in your uh, station or installation. Whatever you're accustomed to resolving that, you're going to maintain that.
Again, that all data from blank, uh, which is used in the evaluation and or adjustment, um, be expunged from all USPS files and records. And we always, anytime money is involved, and we have a settlement that involves a GATS payment or make whole or whatever may be, we're always going to ask that all payments associated with this case be processed as soon as administratively possible, but no later than, in my opinion, seven days is adequate enough time to perform a GATS payment, but within seven days and all proof slash receipts be provided to either you, your branch president, your formal A representative, whoever it may be. But we want to make sure that we evidence the violation, the uh, remedy that we're going to um, make this wrong right with, but also require them to do it within a specific time because if we don't identify a specific time, you know, they could just get willy-nilly with it and drag their feet. But I want my money. I want to do good business. I want to be able to keep good records. And so I need to, you know, remedy this grievance. I need to get that gas payment for this grievance. And I need to file this grievance and be done with it. So I'm going to ask that they maintain some kind of structured time frame to do so. And if they don't get us that payment within seven days, then day one of non-compliance is day eight. And you're damn sure going to better file a failure to comply because they're going to want to hold us to every aspect of every rule. I don't see why it's any different that we ask them to be compliant with the agreements that they make. I don't think management would be uh, would would definitely smile upon if I walked in their office and said, guys, this requirement to be regular in attendance, it ain't working. I'm going to be a four-day-a-week <laughs> carrier. I'm, I'm going to do this four days a week. This regular attendance ain't working out too well, so forgive me. Five days? Can't do it. I'm going to do four. I'm going to be regular and finding another job before long with that mindset. So no different from them. They We establish rules. We establish agreements, and we know that through M1517 that all grievance settlements require compliance. So put that requirement on them to get those payments to you as soon as administratively possible, but no later than a specific date. Well, we have said a lot. You know, every time uh, Corey asks me to do this, I start, you know, uh, scratching my head like, oh my goodness, you know. Uh, it's and it's hard to put something together to be able to express over a podcast. And my style is probably completely different than Corey's as far as doing a podcast episode. Matter of fact, I know it is because I listen to so are all of his and all of them and um, don't listen to mine because I just don't like the way I sound. But I hope this helps you be able to put together a case file and be able to adequately evidence a violation I hope the M documents were beneficial to you as far as questions and answers pertaining to 204Bs, when they can and when they can't perform bargaining unit work. Remember, the 1723 is the controlling document. Grieve it if it's not provided in advance. Grieve it if they didn't make a modification to it and they allowed that individual to perform work, but also grieve the fact that he did work when they didn't make a modification. So um, before and after, what does that mean? Immediately prior, immediately after, uh, non-scheduled days. So definitely do your research 
and go to the MRS and read those step four documents, the arbitration decisions that are associated with 204Bs. Go directly to the index. It's like the first or second selection because it goes numerical and then alphabetical order. But 204Bs is right there. Uh, you can also go under bargaining unit work in the MRS. And then Article 1 directly pertains to the subject matter as well. Uh, put all these things together. This information that we went over, it's not the uh, beginning point or the ending point. Whatever you think you may need, whatever you think you can learn about. I hope the DOIS guides are beneficial. The DOIS PowerPoint, again, that's a management DOIS PowerPoint. That is not my shit. So it's not that I'm agreeing with some of the things they say on that PowerPoint. I only put it on there so you could look at how they uh, use the reports that are associated with DOIS. That's for your benefit of learning how they're using those things and what we can use out of those. Because ultimately, everything that we went over is a postal application or a program, and that's where we get our info from. So uh, the ERMS handbook that was in another episode, that's up there for you. Save all these things to your thumb drive. Look at them in your spare time. Read what they are. Read what they're about, what they're showing, and think about in your mind, what could I use them for? And that's how we get good and better adequate at formulating grievances and building case files through documentation and reports. You know, you'll blow their minds away when you start getting as good or better at them at their own postal applications and programs. So definitely use those things. RIMS, that's a new one. Um, definitely look over through that. Like I said, those reports are for your benefit to be able to identify whatever the case may be. But in this particular case, a 204B or a manager was out there performing city carrier work. I appreciate each and every one of you. I really, really do. Like I said, I don't have all those programs or social media outlets that I told you about earlier. And yes, I do know I said I'm <laughs> messed up. But uh, anyhow, I just don't. And it's just something I've never gotten into. But I do highly look forward to uh, listening to Corey tell me about the, the people that reach out, your stories. The story that he told you about the gentleman that called us in tears was true. Uh, it broke my heart. And it just, you know, at the end of the day, that's why we do this. Uh, that's why I do this is I'm sure there are people listening that are as smart, smarter, experts, whatever than me. But this is definitely a subject matter that I've dealt with. And if I can help anybody do something, then I'm more, more than happy to do this. But keep the good stories coming in. Keep the good fight going. You know, we can't get enough. Union is what we are. From the top down to the bottom again, Executive Vice President Brian Renfro, what a, what a treat, I should say, just being able to have uh, that opportunity to listen to a question and answer session of such magnitude. And hey guys, whoever the leadership is, we need great leadership. We need individuals up there that are on the forefront for letter carriers, a huge, to, in my opinion, a huge uh, collective bargaining negotiations around the corner and uh, definitely hopeful for those negotiations all the way down to the workroom floor steward. Hey guys, we need us. We need we need us. And so y'all guys keep going and keep fighting the good fight. Keep the stories coming in. If there's ever a subject matter that you would like to gain experience on or knowledge, and if there's something I have that could assist in that, I would be more than happy, more than willing to help because that's what this is all about is paying it forward, helping the individuals that are trying to get up to speed, Making them or wanting them to be as good or better than you is the attitude that every individual should have. So hopefully that's the, the case. Until next time, y'all be safe. Love y'all. 
All right, there you have it, our, re our resident expert, JB, on management doing craft work. And the reason I say that is because he absolutely hates for me to say that. He hates for me to say the expert. <laughs> it drives his ass crazy. <laughs> Last week, I said I'm going to have the expert come in. Monday, he calls me, would you please quit doing that? <laughs> I was like, yeah, man, I'll stop doing it. So we got the resident expert in here today. <laughs> Oh, shoot. Well, all right. A great episode right there. Management doing craft work. So next week, like I said, I'm going to come in here. We're going to do residual mail in the DPS. That sounds entertaining, doesn't it? And so uh, we'll talk about that. Y'all have a fantastic rest of the week. Make sure you vote. Make sure you vote. Whoever you vote for, make sure you vote. Educate yourself who the best candidate is for you and what uh, what you're wanting to acquire and attain through our union and so uh make sure you vote all right that's your right so i'll talk to y'all later y'all have a great week and i'll see you next sunday all right <laughs>